You should be a monster, an absolute monster, and then you should learn how to control it. There's an intensity to what we're trying to accomplish, and um, you know, if you want to be truly great, you've got to bring it every day. Do you enjoy pain? Pain don't hurt. You blitz all night! Standing out is a long-term strategy that takes guts and produces results. If you care enough about your work to be willing to be criticized for it, then you have done a good day's work. So what does it mean to you to be an absolute monster? To be an absolute monster is to tap into the most savage parts of who we can be. So there are different parts of the brain. There's the lizard brain, the monkey brain, the dog brain that comprises what's the human brain, right? The most basic instinct and then the whole community part. And then there's the part of us that wants companionship and all of that. And that's kind of what makes us human because we have so many layers will, consciousness, beyond basic instinct and desire, and animalistic, if you will. So to me, it's being able to tap into those deeper instinctual levels at will. Someone who's a monster, an out-of-control monster, is someone that is doing these really bad things is breaking down different parts and fabrics of society or organizations, family, communities uh, for selfish ends and without being aware of what they're doing. Um, so there's definitely some people, some situations that you would say that person was a monster. I think we can name a few, but we won't name names. What do you mean by lizard brain and dog brain and monkey brain? I've heard lizard brain and monkey brain before. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever heard dog brain. Dog brain's like the unconditional love that a dog has that want for companionship, that being in a pack community, um, the nurturing instinct that they have with um, with pets and the way they're able to bond with other animals. It's more of a community oriented. So lizard brain what they would refer to as your most basic instincts of survival and survival is about reproduction it's about eating it's about staying warm that kind of an idea that's lizard brain mm -hmm. and then monkey brain is what um it's, it's the next level like none of those brains have this sort of consciousness or will they act on instinct towards survival so they have a little bit more of a community because like the big monkey packs organizations, there's a hierarchy to their- so There's more order than the lizard brain. Yes. Mm -hmm. So lizard brain is like the monsters or the savages. Sort of, but a lizard brain isn't acting at will. A lizard brain is acting completely on instinct. Like Wolverine. Uh, you're He's like a savage. He is a savage, yes. Acts on instinct a lot. He acts on instinct and not forethought. That's part of like his, the charm of his character is that he does these things and uh, he kind of goes into a blind rage. So that would be a blind savagery. You know, Hugh Jackman signed on for two more movies. I did not. I knew he was doing one more for sure. He's coming back for more, but he's actually coming back wow, for two more. Wow, it's like two decades, three decades of Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. I don't know if you all know this, but Jonathan loves Wolverine. Which is interesting because I feel like early on, younger Jonathan would have said Gambit was his favorite X-Men. But definitely I would say in my 20s, that changed to Wolverine. Wow. Maybe like late 20s, mid to late 20s Wolverine. Up until then it was Gambit. I've always loved Gambit and Rook. Yeah. Since I was yay high. Magneto is my favorite villain too. Of yes. like all time, all 
DC or Marvel Universe. Magneto is a good example of being, being a, a monster. monster. Yeah. An absolute monster. Do you monster. like how I tied all that in? I do, see. Uh, it was on purpose. I, I, yeah, but he seems was more methodical. <laughs> he seems more methodical about his savagery. He was willing to make calls and do things others weren't to drive towards his means or his ends. So maybe we should explain to everybody a little bit about who Magneto is in case nobody knows. Yeah, I so, think that would be great for you to do. In a nutshell, Magneto believes he is doing the right thing in standing up for a group of minorities, mutants. And he goes about it all wrong, though. Instead of trying to be pre-peace, he tries to fight the power and fight who he thinks, uh, basically normal humans who are putting the mutants down. So he wants to rule and maybe even enslave the humans, definitely rule over the humans as mutants he sees are like the next phase of evolution or Professor X and the X-Men are trying to get mutants and humans to live together peacefully and like help each other out. This is in comic books in the Marvel X-Men universe. Yeah, and in the movies too. Right, but that's originated its comic book story. First, it was comic books, yes. Stanley, he just had his birthday. And do you know why mutants are invented? Were invented for the comic books? Fun little fact. Right. What's your story? So uh, Stan Lee was creating all these different characters, like uh, Hulk had to be radioactive, um, Gamma Rays experiment gone wrong, Captain America was a super soldier, so more experiments gone right, I guess in his case. And then there was Spider Man had to be bit by a radioactive spider to get his powers. And there's tons more, but they were running out of ways for people to have powers like mm. spider bites, gamma rays, super soldiers. So finally, I don't think you, I'm not sure if it was Stanley, but he was definitely part of the conversation. He was like, mm-hmm. well, what if they were just mutants? Like we didn't have to explain them getting powers in all these different crazy ways. We just be like, Hey, these people are just mutants. They're just different. Interesting. And that's how mutants were born. Interesting. Maybe Jack Kirby. Yeah, maybe. So Magneto being an absolute monster was, he was super committed and through all his focus and will towards one goal. And I think to be like that, monsters that you and I are talking about are kind of like an absolute monster is kind of like a Mike Tyson who dedicated his life to boxing. And when you saw him in the ring, you'd be like, wow, that guy's a monster. So by monster, we don't necessarily mean bad. So yeah, I think that's a good differentiator. There are monsters, but to be a monster, you can, in the term we're referring to, you can replace it with savage or beast mode. or Yes, like Marshawn Lynch, the former running back of the Seattle Seahawks, who went by the name beast mode. He's actually a super nice guy in real life. Oh, you met him? Um, from everything that I know about him, okay. he might, who knows? Yeah. There might be an opportunity coming up to meet Not Mr. Lynch. yet is yes. how I would answer that. Uh, but he's seen, like, when he was on the field, you would say he would be, like, you know, he, his nickname was Beast Mode, like, a monster, right? And, like, what he did, he was so good and so focused and so driven. How about that word? Driven to or towards his goal. That yes. You would say he's, like, an absolute monster on the field. That's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's the difference is... What what inspired us is to be an absolute monster and to have it under control is first being able to find, acknowledge, and harness that part of ourselves. And then the biggest thing would be to have it under control so we can turn it on and off as needed when appropriate, 
Marshawn Lynch wasn't a monster necessarily in the press room. He wasn't a monster necessarily amongst his teammates, but he became able to harness that and turn it on on that field or in the uniform to be effective, an effective leader, an effective player, um, an effective lineman. Marshawn Lynch was running back. Oh, running back, duh. Okay, sorry. But the same thing can be said about any of those guys when we see the players on the field who have to control that. And I think this year we're seeing more calls being made on um, unnecessary roughness, uh, unsportsmanlike behavior, and things like that. It's because of safety reasons, but also understanding and teaching these young men and these athletes that as much as aggression as you have to have in all of that, unfettered, pushing through, breaking tackles, you know, you almost like are outside your body, but you still have to be in control. Yeah. Well, I think there's a saying that everybody should seek to be a monster or a savage and then learn how to control it. Because if you aren't a monster, you're not use, you're not like a useful or dangerous to anybody. I think a better way to say it might be you should seek to be dangerous and then learn how to control it. So you should seek to learn how to, you know, like defend yourself, how to take care of yourself and your family, and then control that side of you, that aggression, as opposed to having zero aggression, not being able to protect or control anything, because that has way less use than the person who can do all of that and then chooses to control that side of themselves. That makes somebody completely harmless. Right, like Which a is, harmless person. It's a, har- a harmless person. To anybody, that's better, yeah. So yeah. a harmless person as opposed to like a savage. Yeah, an in-control savage. Yeah, because I guess a harmless person would be on one end of the bell curve and then a complete savage would be on the other end of the bell curve. Yes. Like a complete savage can't control himself and a harmless person can't help anybody. Yes. You need a complete savage that can control themselves. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's something. Like Wolverine comes off a weird <laughs> Yes, Um, I think there are some other people like Tim Kennedy, where he's teaching classes on different defensive and fighting styles for people in their homes, men and women and, and children, like even his daughters know how if they are alone in a situation or somewhat isolated, maybe on their way to the restroom or what have you, and someone tries to take them, he has given them the ability to taught them to tap into that savagery as well as techniques to buy themselves some time or to evade um, being snatched up. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to be as aggressive as Wolverine, but it can be as useful as a 12 year old girl protecting herself from being abducted for human trafficking. What about John Wick? He's another good example. He was like an absolute savage who chose to control himself and to leave that life until Thanos finger snapped his dog and then it was all over from there. It's really hard to have serious conversations with you. It's almost nearly impossible <laughs> to have serious conversations with you. But we should uh, differentiate as well that even though when you think of a monster savage, we've been using physical examples like um, Marshawn Lynch or... Oh, I have a good one. Yeah, what is it? Danny Garcia. Yeah, so we, so we should say that even though being a savage correlates to physical strength and martial arts and take care of yourself and your loved ones that you can be a savage in different areas like Dan Garcia. Yeah. I mean, she 
broke the mold and said, this is not how I'm going to pursue my success. She had been in accounting and had, you know, ruled the financial world or her financial space, but she could use her acumen and said, if I unleash this and I figure out how to tap into something bigger, then I can have an, I can have an impact. I can accomplish my goals. I can set an example. So she took that and stepped outside the box of what was typical or expected and basically said, I'm not going to conform and I'm not going to be necessarily apologetic about it. I'm not going to be the petite, uh, traditional view of a beautiful woman. I'm going to have strength and muscles and I am going to not only do that, but I'm going to develop a clothing line to be professional and feminine, to be strong and feminine. I'm going to not stay in my lane. I'm going to go and be the CEO of the XFL. Um, I'm going to bring the XFL to the United States. You know, I'm going to make that a bigger, a bigger deal. I am going to not wait for the movies to come to me and the people that I represent and the brands that I represent. I'm going to go after and I'm going to create my own lanes. And so to me, she is an absolute monster, an absolute savage in her arena. Right. In her arena, her field. And I think the same thing could be said about Neil Gaiman who seems to be like everywhere. Like not only is that guy doing novels, but he's stretching and growing himself to do graphic novels. He's stretching and growing himself to do TV shows. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, for people who don't know, those are all very different forms of writing. So it's not like, oh, well, if he could write a novel, then it'd be easy for him to write a script. Or if he could write a script, oh, then it'd just be easy for him to write a graphic novel. Like they're all different formats that you have to learn that all come with different rules. So to know that he's doing that has uh, meant that he has had to start from the beginning multiple times in different avenues. So being able to stretch yourself and grow and not just do one thing well, but do multiple things well, I think kind of sets apart somebody who's driven and has that savage mentality. Yeah. Well, his, his, what he does well is storytelling, mm-hmm. but then how he chooses to execute that into the different mediums, like you're saying, that's where his true savagery begins to shine because he doesn't stay in one space, doesn't stick to one type of story or one tone. So um, absolutely. I agree with you on that one. So I think it's like a mindset that we all share. Yeah. Everybody who's mm -hmm. pushing and driving forward consistently. I know a lot of people too, who are just even like in entrepreneurs or who um, work on various businesses that I see them day in and day out, not only maintaining, but gaining ground. I would consider those people savages too, monsters, with how dedicated and driven they are. When you think about the things they may have to have sacrificed or knocked down, obstacles they've had to crush through along that way. I'm at the point now because we've done so many podcasts, I can't remember what I've said or what I haven't said. So forgive me if I keep on saying this. A lot of times, too, people write it off as luck. So I don't know if we've talked about that yet. And if we have. Where people think like, oh, well, that person's just lucky. And somebody said, nobody said that to me recently. Um, or I should say somebody did say that to me recently, but before then it had been a long stretch. Okay. But uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, someone was like, oh, you're so lucky to be able to write full time. And I felt like that, that part of Lord of the Rings where the king of the Rohirrim was like, 
Where was Gondor when the West Fold fell? <laughs> Where was Gondor when the enemy were at our gates? Where was Gondor? And then he cuts himself off. Yeah. And he says, no, we are very much alone. So then when people tell me I'm lucky, Do you they laugh? have the audacity to Do tell me that luck has had anything to do with our journey for almost 11 years now. I tell them, luck? Where was luck when I was grinding on holidays? Where was luck when I was saying no to events so I could work on weekends? Where was luck? And then I just cut myself off. I was like, no, luck has had nothing to do with this. There's been opportunity and preparation. And favor. Opportunity, preparation, favor. But I would say that none of those opportunities come without discipline and consistency first. Because if discipline and consistency weren't there, the opportunities would have never had a chance to come our way. Right. You talk about opportunities by putting yourself in unexpected and uncomfortable situations. And also timing too. Yes. So like think of different people that we've met. If we had met them at a different time, the opportunities might not have been there. And also think too, when we have approached different people, maybe the timing for them wasn't right. Right. So now that we know what it's like to be on set, we understand like, hey, if we're on set actively filming a movie or a TV show and somebody reaches out for a meeting, that's probably not the best time that we're going to be able to make something happen or partner with them Mm -hmm. when we're on set, right? So the timing for that might be wrong. But if that person's consistent and they reach out again, maybe the following week or the following month, then maybe the timing would be better. But that has to start with consistency on their part, consistency, consistently reaching out or consistently showing up. Yep, absolutely. I think it's a very intentional process. It's very intentional of when to turn it on and turn it off. There's a time and there's a place. There's so much energy that can go behind each of those modes. You can't be full-time beast mode because it takes a certain amount of gas. And then that's when we can gas out. We can lose sight. How many times have we been watching football and we see a big guy take the ball and he beast modes down the line and then he gets there and he's gassed out and he's like stumbling, bumbling and fumbling towards the end zone um, because he hasn't prepared. That's not what he's trained for. That's not within his day-to-day wheelhouse and he, he gassed out. So I think that could happen in any of these avenues as, as well. well. We'll see people take that intentional rest and recuperate time so they can re-engage into that. And the other thing is accidentally becoming a monster versus doing it with intention and in control. How do you accidentally become a monster? You don't realize the path you're treading. You don't have yourself surrendered, surrounded by people who are encouraging you in the right direction and kind of checking as your moral compass. Oh, you don't have a good circle of friends. You don't have a good circle of people, of influencers, of content, of mentors or whatever it is, because someone completely unchecked, like it goes back to why we need those communities, why we work in sort of an orderly system. You have to understand what you're going up against. And if you just become a savage and become reckless and you don't even realize what you're doing, and you've, you know, it's a fine line between madness and like an honorable manifesto, I think. So and it, I would say we've encountered a few people who perhaps we've specifically chosen to kind of steer clear of their space or their circles because we don't want to associate with the type of savagery they have going on 
Yeah, I don't even know if we should call it savagery, just like drama. Well, because it's accidental for them. They don't re- they may not realize the 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 turmoil, the pain, the kind of chaos they're creating around them. Where I think um that savagery isn't necessary. it's like unapologetic, but like not excusable either. You know what I mean? You're not hurting people, but you're you're paving your own path. Yeah, just trying to circle back so I can understand what you're saying. You're talking about people who are not using their time wisely and becoming bad savages. Okay. Yes. Yeah, becoming a bad savage. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. And I can think of some people who are like, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Snooky. She's kind of a bad savage. She did all the things, but she didn't care I about who that she hurt. In such a long time. I always just think of that meme of like, only oh, God could judge me. And he's like, you should care about that. It's been such a long time since <laughs> I've heard that name. I've got like all kinds of different memories back. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered. It's a very <laughs> random reference. Uh, I also heard that when I was listening to an interview with Hicks and Gracie and reading his biography about how being able to go into those supposed dark places that may be counter-cultural and I don't mean culture at large but it could be the culture within like your immediate circle or space whether it be how you were raised or what's common or typical in your arena like being an author being a homeschool mom working in a specific office is that you know you have to be confident and willing to go to some of those dark places like, what do you mean by dark places? Like Goggins, like being able to go like, this is a path no one has gone before. What are people going to be saying? What's going to happen if I mess up? Doing something hard is a dark place? Uh, it can be. Being willing to go against the expectations of my parents to forge my new path, because this is the path that I need to take to go to this place. Like you said, being relentless. What happens if I say, no, I'm not going to join you this weekend for the family barbecue because I need to get this done. I have a deadline or whatever. And then they're like, oh, you never hang out. You don't show up. Why are you so antisocial? Like those, that would be an example Hmm. of how that could be. And be willing to say like, I'm going to go here. It's going to be against the grain. People aren't going to like it. How do you, you know, that can be considered that place, especially for people who are pleasers. Oh, uh, maybe it's hard for me to remove it because I'm not a pleaser at all. Yeah. So when I think of dark places, I don't think of a dark place for me to go to is telling somebody like, hey, I can't make it to your barbecue. Well, I was that just thinking of something that could be me. common. I don't know. But I mean, it could be a dark place to a pleaser or like I said, going against your parents or saying like, hey, telling your parents, no, that doesn't seem like a dark place for me either. Well, your parents are very kind and didn't have to say. But there are many people. But who I understand have, what you're yes. saying. Since everybody's different, yes. there are those people who it's hard for them to say no. So then going to a dark place for them could be having to say no. Yes. Or going like my dark places would be very different than their dark places. You have very dark places. Absolutely. In my mind. (laughs) Well, good thing you have your writing to help you work that out. Yeah. I feel like usually I don't really have to go to dark places. I have to more just kind of like hype myself up. Like if I'm feeling like I need a breakthrough, whether it's like hitting another writing sprint or tackling the next project. I just need to uh, like psych myself up, maybe listen to some dubstep, drink lots of coffee and like get myself psyched up and pumped up and ready to go. One thing that I learned about myself a few years ago is that especially when I'm doing something physical like a training, like 
already have enough get up and go inside of me that I don't really need outside sources to help like pump me up or motivate me. Like there's already enough madness inside of me to do that by itself. So a lot of times maybe I don't have to go to such dark places. Like I just need to like internal psych myself up and get after it. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, so I was reading about becoming a monster would be, we're always told to be virtuous, do no harm and sheath your competitive instinct. So that means we have to not feel like we have to fit a certain mold of virtuosity, not being afraid of stepping on others, not squashing them intentionally, but not being afraid of it. And also being willing to be competitive. And that means there are going to be winners and there are going to be losers. There may also be winners and other winners, right? It's not a zero sum game in all instances. So going back to what you were saying is you don't have those fears. How do you control the beast, the savage, the monster and keep it in check? I feel like we, I need to uh, point my savage towards productive things. Mm-hmm. So whether that means uh, waking up at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. kind of like dulls my blade a little bit, writing 4,000 words a day, that's my normal work count, dulls my blade a little bit. It's like giving that uh, savage productive places to run. So waking up early, writing 4,000 words, working out five times a week. I work out five times a week, all of that helps keep my savage in check. And I can like, what you were saying before, how emotions make poor rulers, but good servants. Mm -hmm. So I have that emotion, those emotions of that drive and get up and go and all that insanity and chaos that resides within me on a day to day basis, pointing all that towards productive things. So comfort is a terrible master. Emotions are a terrible master. Beast mode savage within us is a terrible master. master yeah, good but these servant. all of these things make good servants. Yes, like you have to master those things and then they can work for you. Absolutely. So you're kind of at the, the head of all of that, directing them and leading them. So it's not an uh, a passive space. You're very active and engaged. Yeah, I think we just talked about this. I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, but like when your back's against the wall, whether it's a workout or whatever it might be. For me, it's usually when I'm working out, I'm exercising, uh, when I'm doing different things that are having to um, require me to dig deeper to find another level, what do you visualize? And you said you don't visualize anything. I can't, I don't think so. I, I was thinking about that when I was working out earlier this week. I just don't. I, don't I visualize anything. it being executed. Like it is done. It's already done and if i know that it's already done and already know that i'm capable of doing it the only thing left to do is to do it where i'm on the other <laughs> hand i've always visualized one of those wolves from world of warcraft mm-hmm. kind of give like a massive wolf like the size of a horse but he has fangs like a saber-toothed tiger interesting um that's what i imagine and he's in a cage he's always there he's like roaring to get out and when i need him we open the cage that's like the visualization that comes and he's working for me not against me helping me to like push through whatever workout i really don't have to use him when it comes to writing mm-hmm. but I, every once in a while i need him in the gym when i like if there's another set or something that i'm not sure I, i'm going to be able to do i just give it to him he takes care of business that's something that i'm learning to tap into in a more physical space 
when it comes to karate. Oh yeah. Should we talk, tell them about you kicking ribs? <laughs> yes. So I'm in the sparring stage now. I have no problem, no fear taking a hit. Totally comfortable with that for some reason. Um, but it's following through when I need to hit others. And so uh, my sensei wanted me to sidekick him. You know, it's all controlled, but that's like the thing is I couldn't follow through on a sidekick on him and a round kick on my sparring partner, um, practice partner. And so um, some of the little things that I, I think he said had big impact was by not following through, it could do more damage to myself and to, to my partner, you know, in a different sparring situation. So to develop those habits now of a good follow through on a, on a kick and a round kick and to be, how will my aim be target specific is another one. And we were practicing blocking a kick and countering with like a side gut rib punch. And so being able to do it with such intention and ferocity, he told me, disrespect my leg. Don't just tap it down or push it down. Disrespect it. It is in your space. And I think that's the thing is that we're so conscientious of respecting others and being delicate and courteous and always thinking about two steps, three steps ahead of what they need. What do they prefer? What do they like? And making everybody comfortable that I think that has been drilled into me slash I've drilled that into myself so much that I need to be able to unleash that at, at will. And I'm the opposite where I'm always angry at any given point. You're like Hulk. Oh, <laughs> you have to do different things to control that anger and use that anger in different ways. Or like Jen, what did your sensei say that you have a kind soul? He Is said I had a kind soul. Like we were making eye contact and my foot was up against his ribs and I could feel like his flesh. And as it rubbed against the bones of his ribs and knowing I needed to like press into it. And like, there's just something like you get to say the word flesh. You're making fun of me for saying the well, word flesh. It depends on the, the context. Day. Yeah. And it depends on the context. And you said a worse word it starts with an M and ends with a st. I don't know what's happening. Okay. Uh, so yeah. So it's funny when Jen was telling me that story that she has a hard time uh, kicking or hitting yes. other people that I'm, I was actually on the opposite end because I do boxing. Jen goes to karate and I box. So my coach was holding up a pad for me uh, on his side. Mm. And then he was telling me, you know, we're practicing power. So I was hitting as hard as I could. And I noticed like when I was hitting as hard as I could, I would make him not stumble backward, but like he would absorb the punch and it would take him like a couple feet backward. You have to come reset. So every single time I hit the pad, I just thought, uh, was trying to make him go further and further but back. But the goal every single of that time. was to use See power, how hard correct? I hit it. Yeah. Okay. To so make sure I could break his base. He has to take a step, a few steps back before he okay. comes back and holds the. But it's funny because I had like no. My initial instinct was like, wonder how hard I can hit this and how far I can make him like you know, stumble backwards or whatever it is. Where your initial inclination is, you don't want to even yeah. have somebody holding the pad. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that says something about us. How are you doing with taking hits? Good. I don't, uh, you told me I can't. Don't, I don't take him to the head. Yeah. For everybody who may or may not know or may know, <laughs> I uh, have sustained multiple concussions in my life from like motorcycle accidents, 
car accidents, boxing, not this round of boxing, but a previous time boxing, all kinds of jujitsu, all kinds of different fun stuff. So when I started boxing this time, Jen made me sign a blood oath that I would not <laughs> a living <spar>. trust, <laughs> a living trust oath that I would not spar. So I wouldn't take any more shots to my head. So I guess to your point, when we practice, we do practice blocks. So I am blocking. So he is hitting me, but I always have intentionally a fist up or an arm up to absorb the blow for doing different like weaves and different moves. Nice. But yeah, I don't really take like intentional blows. Okay. Like I'm always blocking the blows. Okay. So being a monster, savage, animal, whatever it is, is about knowing that deep potential within you and deciding to lock it up and when to harness it for your benefit. So maybe another way to say it too is how we read that article when I'm just going to keep on going back to working out because that's a perfect example, but it could be anything. When your body starts experiencing discomfort, mm-hmm. you're experiencing that discomfort at the 40% capacity of what you're able to actually do. Mm-hmm. So just an example, uh, everybody knows what a squat is. So doing a squat. So you can do a series of squats. The very first time you start feeling a discomfort, which would mean that it starts getting hard or your muscles start burning or you're starting to sweat that discomfort, you're at the 40% mark. And I feel like a lot of people will stop there mm-hmm. when you still have, you've kept on pushing through it 60% more to give. So I think those monsters and those savages are taking it past that 40% discomfort mark and going into that extra 60%. And even though we use working out as an example, you can do that anything, whether it's uh, writing or whether it's uh, running ads or whether it's creating art. Sooner or later, there's going to be some sort of discomfort and where most people would stop, those savages continue on. Absolutely. And I'm working on digging deep to pull that out and you're working on making sure it stays it's directed where it needs to be right so even like for you like when you were talking about doing all that coding where you felt like you're in trance in the matrix (laughs) yeah drinking your red bulls (laughs) uh so that might be uncomfortable for some people to get into it but you were willing to push through and to finish it to finish all the different coding and stuff that you had to finish yeah so that's another example well, looks like we've got some more savage things to do today. So if we ever call anybody a savage, it's a good thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, trying aren't you trying to be a, yes, you're trying to be a full-time savage? I'm trying to be a full-time savage and attack everything that I do with intentionality and intensity. Even hanging out with the kids. Like uh, hanging out with the kids in the afternoons, I'm on duty while Jen works. So yes, we definitely do have screen time. Because I think it's important that the kids learn to monitor, engage their own screen time. So instead of me saying, no, no screen time ever, I say, hey, let's do X, Y, and Z. Like, let's do some chores. Let's go outside and play. Let's go read books. And then let's have some screen time. So I can teach them kind of like, you know, you get done what you need to get done first. And then screen time is a extra thing that Mm -hmm. if we have time for, we can do and then we put a limit on screen time and they've learned already. I know that they've learned because they're okay with like turn it off and on just for a little bit, that there are certain things that need to be done. And then screen time is extra. And I know that they will get to the point where they will be able to monitor, engage their own screen time. So yes. they go, okay, I've only been on, watch the show for 30 minutes. I know I need to go do something else. Yes. But yeah. So when I'm hanging out with the kids, I bring out that same, 
drive or intensity, like going outside and playing. Like uh, when they're watching screen time, I'm not going to lie. I do get on my phone, check my messages and stuff like that. But when it's that time to do our reading or time to do our chores or time to go outside and play, like we attack it. We do not go gentle into anything that we do. Uh, right now outside, we're building a big jungle gym. Mm-hmm. So I was telling our daughter, like, hey, they're helping. Like they were, I made them carry, all of us carried all the different pieces from the garage to the backyard to start assembling it. And I was telling her like, hey, this is not going to be a project that we finish like in two days. This is going to take a week, maybe even longer, like maybe even multiple weeks but we will finish this because I'm working at their pace. I'm not like going off and doing it on my own. Like they're act the two year old and the six year old are actively having. So it's going, sometimes that can be frustrating for me too. <laughs> Cause I feel like, Oh man, it'd be so much easier if I just screwed in this bolt and it'd be so much easier if I just worked on it, I could probably finish it. Maybe, maybe in a day, maybe, maybe two days if I just did it myself, but that's not the process. I'm trying to teach them to be savages too. And whatever they do that they attack it. And that, uh, when they get frustrated, because that's happened the last couple of times, because it's a big uh, set. When they get frustrated, we take a break and we reassess and they understand like, hey, this isn't going to get finished today. This is going to be something that's re- going to require days of work. And even when Joe gets frustrated on stuff or you see that she's got this energy sort of restlessness, we teach her to harness it. So telling her, calm down, don't have energy, which is just kind of asinine to ask a six-year-old that's great. Do you have energy? What can we do with this energy? And not as a punishment, as you're being punished for having energy. It's what, what can we do that's productive? What, let's get up and go outside and play. Let's go practice our karate. Let's go push-ups. get strong with push-ups. Instead of saying, you know, go do push-ups. Like, let's do push-ups and let's do jumping jacks. One of my favorite things to see is, especially like on rainy days or something, or if they're not quite well enough to, to go outside. Um, Jonathan will do jumping jacks and push-ups and burpees and all of that right alongside her. And the great thing, and I know that it's got the right sort of tone to it, is that our two-year-old will get down and try to do it all too because he sees it as a fun thing, not like a timeout or something. So I think at any level, being able to identify those natural instincts within us and then learning how to, or like Johnson's doing, is teaching our families and our others to harness it and use it. Yeah, because she started doing push-ups, especially in karate, mm-hmm. having to do push-ups. So when she's running around the house, she should be running around the house and then also like yelling or screaming, stuff like that. So we're like, hey, that's good. It looks like you have a lot of energy. Let's do something good with that energy so you don't get in trouble. Let's go ahead and go do our push-ups. Let's go do some jumping jacks. If it's not raining, we can go outside. Let's go outside and play. Let's go do something with all that energy. So instead of you getting in trouble for screaming and running inside the house with all that energy, let's do something productive. So then like what Jen was saying, like, I want to make sure I lead by example. So I'll get down with her and do push-ups. We'll do jumping jacks together. And we're not talking about like one or two. hundred. We've done a uh, hundred jumping jacks. And then one time we did do a hundred pushups. What? Uh, usually I, we start with maybe like 20 pushups. And then I ask her like, if you still have energy, that's good. It's okay. Let's do more pushups. Let's do something constructive with all that energy that you're feeling and practice your karate. So we'll do pushups together. And she did a hundred pushups before. I didn't know that. She's so strong. Yeah. Proper I mean, pushups. Yeah. And not, of course, not all at once. It was, you know, like 
20 push-ups and then she needs a break. And then we did it like 10 push-ups and then she would take a break. And then it was like five push-ups and take a break, but we just kept on going. And you, again, that full-time savage comes out because you like bring up the, bring out the intensity. Like when we're doing this, it's not like, oh, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> we're going to do some push-ups now. So, and I do the same thing when I work out mm-hmm. or not, sorry, not when I work out, when I write, when I'm writing, I'm not going to the keyboard like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm going to write. I'm not really sure. I don't want to be here. It's like uh, you bring the intensity and you, I attack the keyboard with whatever's going on. Skrillex is like pumping uh, some dark cello. I like cello music too. So just yes. cello music. So just cello music is going and like we're getting into it. We're getting after it. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage against the dying of the light by Dylan Thomas. All right. I have that tattooed on my body in case you're wondering. <laughs> Well, on that note, I know it's not a joke. Uh, Well, on that note, I think we've given a lot of people to think about and we'd love to hear kind of where you are on your spectrum of learning how to tap into your beast mode or is it something you're still learning to control and kind of where you are on that journey. Yeah, and I think I would rather deal with people who are savages, even if they don't have it under control, as opposed to people who don't have it because I feel like if you have that intensity and that drive you can teach people where to direct as opposed to if somebody doesn't have it at all I think that would be much harder to create actually I'm good with either I don't think it can be taught because it's in everybody are you okay I might throw it's tickling <laughs> <laughs> all right on that note we're going to go take care of Jensen.